Oh my days. Welcome back to Tom's Takes episode four. This is Tom Patterson, your host speaking. Whatever time it is for you, wherever you are in the world, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're having a great day so far. It's a uh, Sunday. It's Sunday afternoon, Sunday night for me at the moment. It's uh, Mother's Day here in Sydney, Australia. So Happy Mother's Day. Shout out to all the mums out there. Shout out to my mum. Shout out to Pav's mum in particular. Um, they do so much for us. And yeah, really grateful, really appreciate them. And yeah, massive to, massive shout out for all the mums out there. Um, it's been a good week. And I forgot to mention it last episode, but we've recently started uh, house-sitting for some friends of ours who've gone up to Queensland at the moment. And it's been interesting. Uh, it's been good so far. They have two, like, schnauzer dogs or shih tzu. I'm not good with my breeds, but um, they're not the biggest dogs. Like, they probably come up to your knees. They're both quite, or like, more on the older sort of end, but very chill, very well-behaved, not a lot of work, which makes it quite easy. But um, I know you forget how much responsibility having a pet and having a dog is, it's almost like having a child. Like you have to really have to plan your day around them. Um, you know, waking up a bit earlier, thinking about how they're going through the day if you leave the house and if you've got enough food for them, those type of things. But um, I wanted to ask, I wanted to put it out there that do, do you think that dogs look like their owners, look like the people that look after them? Like, usually, not me with these dogs, but it just makes me go, am I crazy? Am I seeing things? Am I seeing what I want to see? But do these two dogs, like, it's a boy and a girl, and it's uh, one of our friend's parents that we're house-sitting for. It's like, oh, they kind of look like the parents. Like, Max and Mia are the dogs. And it's like, oh, Max kind of looks like James, who is, like, the dad. And, oh, Mia, she she kind of looks like Jenny. And it's like, I don't know if it's because... The parents are kind of old and the dogs are kind of old looking with the gray hairs. Um, anyway, what do you guys think? Do you think that dogs look like their owners? Let me know. Um, another interesting thing this week was I think in the first episode I talked about, you know, should people that wear sporting teams, like the clothes, like the brand, the logo, have to know what's going on. And I, I tested my theory. I didn't record it. I didn't, <laughs> I haven't done the TikTok yet or anything or the Instagram, but I was on campus at Sydney Uni the other day and someone was wearing a really nice basketball jersey, uh, Jar Morant's jersey, the young sensation from Memphis Grizzlies. And I was like, we were both just waiting in a coffee line. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool jersey, bro. He's like, oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. I was like, oh, he's been playing so well, hasn't he? He's been having to carry the team. And that was like the moment I was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to see if he's like up to date or we'll see how much he knows about it. He's like, yeah, man, like he's having to drop like 30, 40, like everyone else has to stand up. Like he's full carrying the team. And we're just so lucky that he is so athletic and hitting his shots. I'm like, I know, like, what do you think? How do you reckon the rest of the series will go against Golden State? And yada, yada. We like started having a convo and met a cool dude. So uh, it's nice. It's nice when people are like, there's a lot of potential if, uh, to become like sort of best friends, instant, instant friends, like that stepbrothers sort of moments. Like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> um, 
another story that was happening too is that it happened to me, someone came up to me because I was at the gym and I was wearing my, an AC Milan shirt um, as like a throwback, the shirt that I used to wear all the time when I was the physio for the AC Milan Academy here in Sydney, Australia for a year or I spent a season doing that with them. But I like to wear that shirt just as a sort of memento and, you know, I do, I, I do know what's happening with AC Milan. It's a bit more of a test than NBA and NFL for me, but I do know about how they're doing the Serie A at the moment and those sort of things, who's plays for them. But I was scanning into the gym the other day and the receptionist was like, oh, I love AC Milan. It was this big Italian bloke. He's like, oh, they're my favorite team. Like, good win today, wasn't it, against Inter Milan? And like, I was like, yeah, actually it was like pretty crazy game. And man, I just like... It's nice that they have a young squad. Hopefully they can like build towards getting back to the Champions League sort of glory of, you know, 15, 20 years ago. He was like, oh, I know. They've kind of fallen off a bit. And he's like, oh, nice to like have a chat with you about it. And I was like, yeah, that's, like thanks for bringing it up. And yeah, I'll hopefully see him around more. <laughs> it's my guy, my Italian AC Milan guy at the gym. Again, did we just become best friends, man? <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's... it's uh. Man, I could have been called out. Imagine if I put on a different shirt or like I didn't know about AC Milan or something. It's like, oh, fraud. <laughs> you told, you said people need to know about it, but then you yourself don't know what's going on. It's uh, it's lucky that I'm I'm in touch with that sort of stuff. Anyway, I can I can take it as good as I can dish it out. It that that shows. Um, we'll get to what's been happening, what you might've missed in particular with the NBA that's going on at the moment. So we've had three games in the Miami heat versus Philadelphia 76ers series. So heat are up two one, a lot of two ones around the NBA. So heat are up two one, the Phoenix suns are up two one against the Dallas Mavericks. The Milwaukee bucks are also up two one and the golden state warriors are up two one. So we're going to dive into a few more of those series and those games, especially basically all of them except the Warriors game, as I haven't watched. I didn't watch that one live, and I haven't seen the highlights yet, so I might save that one till next episode. And I know I keep saying I want to break down the biggest NFL offseason moves, but I think this one might be a long podcast because I want to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs starting um, in particular and I think that will be a fun segment. So I think I don't want this one to be too long. I'll probably post another episode tomorrow or the day after maybe so, or probably on Wednesday. So I can cover that then and probably the Golden State game. So yeah. Oh, another thing that happened a few days ago, but I thought it was so, oh, it was incredible where in the Major League Baseball in America, the... Philadelphia Phillies, like what a name, first of all, but also did an absolute choke job against the New York Mets team. So baseball is nine innings, right? You, you know, one inning or in the top half of that inning, you're either pitching or throwing, like you're not batting and then you swap after you get three outs and then you're batting. You're trying to hit home runs. Anyway, the New York Mets were down seven to one in the top of the ninth inning. So the last chance they had to bat, they needed to get eight runs to, or seven runs just to tie the game and eight to push into a lead. 
And the statistical modeling nowadays that we have with sport is getting so high tech that at that point, at the top of the ninth, where they're down seven to one, the computer, the computer said that the Philadelphia Phillies have a 99.5% chance of winning this game. So it was like basically unlosable. But they lost, and that's why I'm talking about it. They found a way to lose. And shout out to all that New York Mets team for never giving up and just hanging around, right? Like it would be so easy to just pack it in at that point, right? Like baseball is funny in a way because they play so many games and basically like you play a team, you like fly out to Philadelphia, for example, these New York guys would have flown out to Philadelphia and you basically play them like every day, like seven games over seven days. And then this one was probably like game three or four. So it would have been easy to go, oh, we're losing this one 7-1. Let's just get back to the hotel room, prepare for tomorrow's game. Let's try and get that. Let's try and win that one. But they didn't. They still tried their best, like trying to steal bases and get people on base and hitting home runs and just playing hard, forcing the Philadelphia Phillies to try and win the game. And they couldn't. They did the comeback. They won it 8-7. And massive blow, like massive shift in momentum, right? Like if you were that Philadelphia Phillies game, Phillies team, you you had the whole game in your grasp and then it's the bottom of the ninth. The team's come back now. You still have a chance to hit a home run and all you need is two runs to take the lead back again and you win the game because you're batting last. But man, just psychologically, you'll be like, oh, what the heck? We were winning all game and now we've thrown it away and now we have to go back and win it again. That's really tough in such a short space of time to swing that momentum back. So they couldn't do it. And yeah, just shout out to New York Mets for that massive comeback. Very impressive. I don't think there was anything else that I need to talk about with that sort of thing. Or just like an interesting fact was that for the NFL, um, they're trying to expand into different countries slowly. So each year they're playing more games uh, overseas throughout the season. They're not just playing in America. And the NFL has just announced that we're going to be playing a few games in the UK, some in Germany, and some in Mexico. So in all across October, um, in the UK, the Vikings will play the Saints. Green Bay will have a game against the Giants. And Jags, as well as Denver, will trek it out to the UK. In Germany, in Munich Stadium, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to play Seattle. That should be a great game. Well, it should have been a great game if Russell Wilson was still playing for the Seahawks. That should be a really easy win for Tampa, actually. Um, And down in Mexico City, the 49ers will play the Arizona Cardinals. That should be a, a lot better of a game. So I thought that was interesting. I like, you like to see... It's a good thing to see the NFL trying to expand in different countries that like gets more fans and media attention, gets more recruits from that sort of area, trying to develop the pathways and interest in NFL um, so it can grow and expand the league. So you love to see it. Alrighty, let's talk about today, we're going to dive deeper into each of the NBA series that's have been going on lately. And then we're going to finish off with the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs 
So I'm excited for that. Okay, the first series that's in the NBA, let's touch on the Miami Heat, who's the number one team in the East playing the number four team, the Philadelphia 76ers. So in the first two games in Miami, quite easy wins. And I think we talked about last podcast that that's got a lot to do with the injury on the 76ers side to probably the winner of the MVP award this year. They're going to announce that very soon. Um, Joel Embiid. We talked about how he got elbowed in the face in that last game of that Toronto series where he shouldn't even been on the floor, gets elbowed, has that orbital fracture, fracture above his eyebrow, um, and goes into concussion protocol and has to manage that fracture and try to return for this series. Um, So in the first two games, Joel Embiid was missing. He was out with that injury. And Miami Heat were crushing them, just so dominant. And they just have so much more depth in their squad. So just to highlight it, like in game one, Tyler Hero, who's the sixth man of the year, he's the best bench player across the league. He just won that award, so congrats to him. He outscored the 76ers in game one with 16 points, their whole bench. So like the entirety of Philadelphia's bench got less than 16 points, and just one player off Miami got more than their whole bench, this guy Tyler Hero. So that's kind of how dominant they are. Same sort of thing in game two. Another bench player, Victor Oladipo, great player. He scored 19 points. The whole of Philadelphia's bench scored under 19. So Philadelphia at times showed a bit of a spark. James Harden wasn't consistent. Tyrese Maxey has tried to step up. But as soon as those guys come off the floor and Philadelphia has to rely on its bench, you can just see that they... Miami is able to stretch their lead even further. And like a race, it's just they pull off or like in cycling, you know, 76ers are trapped in the peloton and this Miami Heat, as soon as they put put on their bench players, they can excel even further, sprint away, break away, stretch that lead. And you can never win trying to chase that if you're 76ers. And the first two games were kind of a shame because with Joel Embiid missing... He was the one sort of matchup and an X factor for this 76ers team that the that could potentially exploit exploit the weakness in Miami Heat as the tallest player on Miami Heat. I think it's Bam Adebayo, great uh, rim defender and post scorer, sort of like a poor man's Giannis as well, um, a bit older, but he is only six seven, so he's still tall. But Joel Embiid is like 7-1, so can really sort of, there's a massive height disparity and in that post, under the hoop, could really bully some of these Miami Heat defenders and, yeah, would likely have excelled. So in those first two games, Miami Heat really won comfortably by 20, 30 points or more. But then, unexpectedly, in game three, we had... Joel Embiid, likely MVP winner return with the mask. He's wearing this like uh, 
Batman black sort of face mask, like a like a masquerade sort of ball style, um, sort of fiberglass, um, yeah, face mask to protect that healing fracture. And it was a really big surprise to see him back on the floor. I didn't think he would be uh, able to make it in time, um, but he was back and he made an impact. And even though he didn't score his usual 30-plus points and have more than 10 assists, more than 10 rebounds. I think he only finished the game with around 18 to 20 points. Um, He was able to really, like I said last episode, the 76ers were missing that driver of the team, someone who conducts that big leader for their offense and defense, and just sort of like to distract the Miami Heat a bit more and give them something else to think about, one more person. And, yeah, attracting uh, that heat attention when they're in defense so that he can draw in a couple of players and then Embiid can find the pass out to a more open player who has a better shot, a better chance at a better shot, and they were able to hit them. The big sort of story of Game 3, so 76ers won that Game 3, the series is now 2-1. The main thing, though, is that the Heat really just didn't hit their shots. Um, And I think there was another injury return by a Heat player. So Kyle Lowry has been injured for the last week or two weeks. He's missed quite a few games in this playoff series. And he is a good veteran player, but he just looked a bit lost out there. I don't think he got many points, didn't get many rebounds or assists as well. If you're going to play 30, 40 minutes, that's like 75 plus more percent of the game, you need to be productive. You need to be contributing. You need to be getting rebounds, steals, assists. And he just looked a bit like a lost puppy out there. And I think that's to do with the time off. And I think even the rest of the Heat team had gotten used to playing without him, that when he's on the floor, he didn't really know where he was supposed to be, wasn't in a rhythm hitting shots, um, didn't know who to mark in defense. So I think that was really a big contributor to that loss as well. I think getting Embiid back, being um, productive and being a distraction, um, creating one-on-one matchups more so than in other games for other 76ers, and Kyle Lowry sort of detracting, um, being a negative for the Heat out there. Um, But also that Tyrese Maxey guy from the 76ers, man, he had one of the worst first halves. Like he had a... A big donut. He's number zero. Uh, he's on his jersey, and he had zero points in the first half. And I think someone must have got into the the locker room and said, you know, put a, a gun to his head and said, "You better play like you mean it in the second half. Like we're gonna, we're gonna, um, you know, we're gonna rob you or we're gonna kill your firstborn baby. Like something really intimidating." Because he came out with a different look in his eye, and he scored uh, twenty points in the second half and was just jumping for everything, contesting everything, getting steals, getting assists. Um, I've never seen someone play that hard, and he really inspired the win for Philadelphia in that game. Um, One last big reason I think Philadelphia were able to come back in this series and make it interesting was that, you know, Miami just didn't hit their shots. It's not like... Philadelphia did this great defensive plan against Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler, 
and the rest of the squad, it was, you know, Miami had their chances. Miami had their, sh- their, their shots. They, um, they had good shots. They just didn't go in. They didn't hit. Um, 76ers just shot more efficient. Like Miami actually took more shots by, I think, 10, 20 shots. You know, Miami had 90 shots the whole game, and I think only 40 of them went in. And 76ers had 70 shots, but 40 of them went in. So, and they shot more three-pointers. So I think if they're able to hit their shots, they still win that game. And I think that comes down to the Kyle Lowry sort of thing. How is he being spaced out around the field? People were a bit confused with how to run their offense through him as he's just had some time off. So I think they'll, with more practice, we're going to see how the Heat integrate him more um, solidly. And I think they'll be back better and more physical next game. And we'll see how Embiid pulled up. You know, he, previous to this facial fracture, he had the thumb dislocation or his thumb was giving him some grief. So, yeah, massive shout out to him for going out there and suiting up and being productive. Um, We'll see if he can maintain that. Alrighty, next up, still in the NBA, we're going to go to a different series now, back out west to the Phoenix Suns, the number one team, and the number four team, they're playing the Dallas Mavericks. So I'm going to go back to a couple of days ago and recap game two, and my goodness, uh, CP3, Chris Paul, and he wears a number three, so CP3, he should be called CP4 from now on, I swear, because... He just comes alive in the fourth quarter. And this game just reminded me of uh, game five or game six, I think, against the Pelicans last series where he was the point guard in fourth quarter, came alive, didn't miss a shot, and again, gives him gives him his team, you know, 20, 30 points and really separates and pushes away gets that lead against the Dallas Mavericks and secures the win. Um, Dallas, though, give them credit. Away from home, they showed a lot of potential in Game 2 especially, and they they had the lead, lead at halftime. And I think for, for Dallas going forward, they really need to capitalize um, when Devin Booker and Chris Paul go to the bench and Luke is still on the field on the floor, that's where they need to start their runs. That's where they need to really build a lead and try to hold it from there. Like they can't be coming back to try to win the game in the fourth quarter when Devin Booker and CP4 especially are trying to put the game away. And the Suns are the best team in the NBA at getting a lead and holding it in the fourth quarter they are 52-0, and 0, so they've won 52 games in a row, haven't lost one when they have gone into the fourth quarter with the lead. So that's a very scary statistic, but it shows you we can't wait until the end of the game to try to come back. This team is too good at being a front runner. We need to be the front runner if we're going to play them, put them under pressure, put them in a situation they don't like or haven't been in before where they're having to chase the game. And those stars, CP4 and Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, the whole gang, they have to 
have to hit their shots, not, oh, it's a good shot, but if we miss, it's okay, we've still got a 10-point lead, fourth quarter, doesn't matter. You need to put them in the position of, oh, there's five minutes to go, we're still down by eight, we really need to hit a few threes here. Um, that's a different type of pressure and something that they're not used to. So I think, yeah, Dallas needs to take advantage of when CP4 and Devin Booker throughout the game need some rest. They're not going to play the whole game and they need to put Luka on the field when he's when the rest of the team, the Phoenix Suns, is taking off their star players to take advantage of that, build the lead. In that game, though, uh, Luka still had 35 but no one else in the team was over 16 points. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Jalen Brunson in particular, uh, Kleber, they all were under 15 points or under 16 points. And just shows again, similar to the uh, Memphis Grizzlies with Ja Morant, their star player like Luka Doncic or Ja Morant can get 30, 40, 50, but that's not enough to win you the game. Someone else needs to contribute. Someone else needs to get 20, 25. Someone else should be being aggressive and take eyes, take focus off the star player. Similar to what Joel Embiid did uh, the other night with the 76ers, right? Like even though he was still a bit hurt, he put on the mask and was a big distraction and a big facilitator for the rest of the team, hitting some shots, but he didn't go out there and get 40, 50 points. He only got 18, but he was able to uh, draw in double teams, triple teams, find the right option and give someone else an easy shot rather than him take a hard shot or try to play hero too much. Um, Another thing that was frustrating in this game was that the Mavericks were down 10, 15 points going into the fourth quarter and they gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter to Phoenix. And you're just never going to win a game uh, giving up 40 points in a quarter. So I think that's partly to desperation and trying to hit a lot of threes, uh, like three-point shots to try and come back. But, yeah, it's disappointing that, you know, Jalen Brunson really needs to stand up for the Mavericks. When he was playing against the Utah Ass in the last series... Luka Doncic was injured those first two, three games, and he showed that he can be a star player too. Out of nowhere, he, you know, against the ass in that series, he came into this series against the Suns averaging about 30 points a game. And now he's down averaging 10 points a game. We don't need Luka to get 50 or 40. You know, we, we need everyone else around him to get 20 need a couple 20s and Luca can get you 30. Or Luca gives you 25 and two or three more players, you know, Spencer Dimwitty, Jalen Brunson, um, Reggie Bullock, um, Maxi Kleber, they all sort of give you 15 to 20. That's a real team performance and it's going to make Luca's life and job so much better, so much easier if he doesn't have to carry the team. Another thought I had with this game was that you know, the Mavericks are playing too slow. In the previous series that the Suns played, uh, New Orleans Pelicans, they were able to win two games out of it. And how did they do it? 
they should have been, you know, these Mavs should be studying how the Pelicans won those games and they won it because they're a young, energetic team like the Mavericks are and they just played really fast. They didn't allow the Suns to set their defense a lot. Like if you slowly dribble the ball up, you can clearly see, okay, Luca's got the ball. He's gonna. He likes to go to his left. He likes to do this three-point shot or he likes to go to the right and get a layup. Um, if you just meander down the court like an old lady sort of crossing the street, everyone has time to react to and expect what's coming. I think Dallas needs to do a little, little bit more trickery, a bit more complex tactics and have some of the young guys outside of Luca, like Luca is still young, but take the ball out of his hands a bit more and that will give him more energy for the rest of the game and the younger players on the team can waste, or not waste their energy, but exert their energy sprinting down the court and quicken up the, the tempo and the pace of the game and ask more questions quicker of the Suns' defense. Have them have to make more snap decisions and you know have to be looking at the ball, but then also have one eye on Luka Doncic and try to track him and have him running around the court without the ball as much. You know, right now, every play for the Mavericks, Luka Doncic is dribbling the ball up. So it's like the Suns, even though it's a five on five, you know, all 10 eyeballs, all five players are looking at Luka Doncic. They're not really looking at their own player. And, you know, Luka just tries to do like a miracle Hail Mary sort of play. Half the time it works. Half the time he proves you wrong and go, wow, that's some Luka magic right there. That's a crazy three-point shot. Like he shot that from the car park and, it, and there was nothing but net. But I'd rather see him without the ball, get the young guys sprinting around, have them have to react to the young guys. And Luka Doncic gets a bit lost in the crowd then and he's going to get easier shots. One thing the Suns really did in that game too was exploit Luka and wear him down on defense. Every time the Suns had the ball, Luka would try and hide in the quarter, marking the worst sort of Suns player. But the Suns would see that and go, no, no, no. They'd call over the Suns player go, come on, Mikael Bridges or Jamie Crowder, come in. They'd set a screen and make Luka guard the player. They'd do a switch. And having Luka in defense... You know, he's not the worst defender, but if you're constantly having, you're being the focal point of someone's attack, of your team's attack, and then you're being the focal point on the defense too, you get too tired across four quarters, across 48 minutes of really high intense basketball. So the Mavs need to work out how to switch better to try to protect Luca more, or Luca needs to work on his defense a little bit better uh, better in the next few days and show the Suns, no, I'm actually a good defender. You don't want to have me defending because I can I can block shots or I can go for a steal. Um, make, make them pick on someone else and that's going to conserve Luka's energy a bit more and then he's going to have more energy to run the, run the offense or run around and do some uh, faster tempo uh, play, like I said. So interesting to see if they would do that in game three. And it was so great to see because uh, Dallas actually won that game. 
and they won it by a good 10 to 15. And they put in place some of the suggestions I, I said. They played a lot faster. So Phoenix had to do a lot more transition defense rather than more structured set defense, knowing their matchups and created a lot more confusion in the Suns lineup about who they're guarding. Um, and it was back in Dallas. So I think, you know, the, the home crowd gets behind you. There's a big energy lift. Um, you know, the star players beside Luca, um, you know, the others on the team, the other four players, usually the others play better at home as they're more confident, more comfortable. When you, when the momentum's with you, the shots start going in. Those, the star players can hit shots anywhere. You know, you put up a basketball hoop in Antarctica and Luca, Giannis, Kevin Durant, they can all hit the shots. But, you know, Spencer Dimwitty, Kleber, Jalen Brunson, they need, they're a lot better in front of Mark Cuban and the Dallas crowd. So um, that was good to see. Similar to how I was taught praising Tyrese Maxey's effort with the 76ers, just massive shout out to the the Mavs and the others besides Luca, even Luca as well, but we expect it from him. But the others, the other four on the bench um, on the Mavs, they really stepped up in terms of effort and intensity, um, especially on defense too. Having a lot of blocks, a lot of steals, and forcing a lot of turnovers from the Suns, but not turning the ball over themselves. They forced about 20 turnovers, the Mavs, from the Suns, but they themselves only turned it over, I think, five or six times, and that's really, really crucial. You're not going to beat a team like Phoenix turning the ball over and missing your shots, and Mavs shot really, really well uh, from three-point range, Um, and it was sort of a poor shooting display by Phoenix all round, and they tired out. Um, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, CP4. I think he, he might have been downgraded back to CP3 from this game because the Phoenix Suns were a little bit too tired and Dallas did what I said. They they got the lead early, built it up, especially in that third quarter where they got out to a 20-point a lead, like it was 80 to 60 and midway through the third quarter, especially when CP3 and Devin Booker were on the bench crowd was into the game, momentum's on their side, and they, they tried to come back the Suns, but Dallas was too far ahead, and they could hold on. So, massive shout out to them. Importantly, though, the series is exactly where it should be. You know, Phoenix had two games at their home. They held serve. They won both those games. Dallas, to their credit, has had just one game. It's game three. They won it. We're going to have game four tomorrow. They should win that game. They should play exactly how they just did. And if they can, raise it up to another level. Um, We'll see if Phoenix shoots as bad as they did. Like This whole playoff series, Phoenix have been so efficient with their shooting. They've been shooting 50-60% with their two points, and their three-point shot's been around 40-50%. to as well, but this game away from home, you do expect a little bit of a downturn, but it it was down to like 30, 20% with their their shots. So I wonder if that will continue. Um, Importantly to remember, Phoenix doesn't need to win a game away from home. They'd love to. They would want to get greedy and steal one of these games. Like 
if they win tomorrow, they'd be up 3-1 and they just go back to Phoenix and try to win in front of their fans and the series is over. So we'll see if Dallas can really put some pressure on and make it 2-2. That makes it way more interesting going back to Phoenix. And then we can see if Dallas can steal a game on the road. Next up, we're going to go back to the Eastern Conference, still with the NBA, and we're going to talk about yesterday's game, um, Boston Celtics, the number two team, versus the Milwaukee Bucks, the number three team, with Giannis. Um, so this series, like I said at the top of the episode, is 2-1 in favor of Milwaukee. So Boston lost the first game at Boston. They were able to tie it back up and win the second game in Boston, but now it's in Milwaukee and the Bucks were able to hold on today and get the win against the Celtics. So they're up in the series 2-1 and like I was just talking about, they'll have a big opportunity as the, uh, the next game in a couple days time, game four is in Milwaukee and they'll have a really big chance to, um, go up to 3-1, and they've already got their road win. So all the Bucks need to do now is just win at home. Uh, so that will be interesting. This game three was really, really tight. It came down to the last shot, the last play. And so it's, I think the final score was 103 to 101. And Boston is at the free throw line. And... They have one free throw left. It's Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, taking the free throw. and But they're down one, uh, two points. So one free throw can only get you one point, but they're down two and it's like five seconds left. So they had a timeout before that. And it's just great to see smart coaching and real tactical decision making because you could try and go the foul route, the foul route like that pathway of okay we hit this free throw we're still down a point it's Milwaukee's ball then we try to foul them see if they miss a free throw and then we maybe get the ball back with like two seconds to go and try and get a Hail Mary but their coach said no I don't like that you don't usually win those sort of scenarios let's try and miss our free throw on purpose let's try and hit the rim you have to be super careful because you can't just you know, alley-oop it, throw it to yourself off the backboard and dunk it in, um, sort of Giannis style. Um, You have to, if you're going to miss it, hit the rim. So any part of the rim has to hit that, and then it's, it's a live ball, it's fair game. So it's actually, it's hard to miss it on purpose. So, but that's what Marcus Smart did, that's what the Celtics did. There's five seconds to go, they're down by two, one free throw to go, miss it on purpose, it lands to a Celtics player, they get the rebound, he has a shot, puts it up, there's like three seconds to go, it swirls around the rim, misses, then it goes to another Celtics player, and he tries to tap it up, volleyball style, it just hits the backboard, bounces back in the lap of a Celtics player again, now it's like one second to go, it's like 0.9, 0.8, 0.7, the Celtics player's got it in his hands, Al Horford, He's catching it, and as he goes to shoot, the buzzer sounds, and just as it, after the buzzer sounds, the ball is released from the hand, 
hits the backboard and goes in. The Celtics players go crazy. They're like, yes, we've tied it up. We've forced overtime. No. On review, Al Horford tipped the ball just after the buzzer, like I just said. So the shot didn't count. Bucks hold on to win the game. And yeah, a bit lucky, but some you know, you make your own luck in these type of games and I don't know. Giannis just showed and is solidifying himself as the best player in the league right now and probably the best player of the last three years. So he had 40 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, just an absolute machine, total carrying his team. Uh, Crazy physical game. Like I talked about in the last episode, Milwaukee in game one at, at Boston really punched them in the mouth. Like I said, The Nets were a bit of a pushover and not very physical against Boston. So they didn't expect, you know, they expected Milwaukee to be physical, but they just weren't ready for it. And then I talked about in game two how the Celtics sort of swung back. They were able to come off the canvas as like a boxing sort of reference, come back up and deliver their own punch to the mouth or heavyweight blow that took Milwaukee a bit by shock. But then game three, Milwaukee raised it even more. They keep raising and setting the bar even more physical this game. You know, Giannis from the last game realized they're trying to build the wall again. They're they're putting two or three people in front of me. They know that um, I really like to run downhill, fast-paced, and sort of bully my way to the basket. I need to find a way to do that. And he just said, I don't care. I'm just going to, you know, like a bowling ball in your 10 pins, I'm just going to smash through you. I'm just going to knock you over. Um really, really physical performance today. Like there was a lot of times that he got the the ball right under the basket and there was one, two uh, Celtics defenders there and he really bodied them up, like really shoulder barged them, created space, put on a, a nice spin move and dunked it on top of their head or easy layup, easy um, finish on the backboard. So he's such a free, he's, it's like, watching art it's like watching uh you know Shakespeare write a play or you know poetry in motion when you watch Giannis it's just yeah you can't believe what you're seeing it's crazy how physically gifted he is and how dominant he can be um it's really showing too I thought coming into this series there's a Bucks player Uh, Chris Middleton, who's been out with that knee injury for a while, this whole playoff series. And I thought, yeah, he's their main uh, closer. Like he's their, you know, equivalent of CP3 from the Suns for the Bucks. Like he's the guy that has the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter and he's their clutch player. It's, It's time to win us the game. You know, Giannis, you've done great, but... Chris Middleton, here's the ball, hit some threes, hit some long-range twos, give us the win, seal it for us. And he's been out. So I really thought with him missing, Celtics probably had the edge in this series, but Giannis has been enough, and Drew Drew Holiday has been enough too. He had a lot of shots last night, Drew, that he missed, but still was able to contribute 25 points and a good 8-9 assists. So they're getting the others involved, Milwaukee, and... Again, like I talked about in the last series with the Mavs, I think being at home, you know, being in front of Milwaukee Bucks fans, you know, those others, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis Jr., um, are more comfortable. 
and more confident at home. Easier to hit their shots. Interesting stat about this game was that Celtics, you know, it was such a physical game, right? Like I just talked about. It raised it to another level. Both teams were, you know, swinging punches, not like literally, but really, really physical. A lot of elbows, a lot of shoulder barges, lots of, you know, throwback to the 2000s sort of posting people up, like the Shaq sort of era. And Celtics had a lot more free throws. You know, both teams had about the same amount of shots, um, same amount of three-pointers, and free throws is the next way of scoring, right? You get fouled, you go to the uh, free throw line, got to hit your shots. Um, Celtics had double the amount of free throws. They had 34 uh, shots from the free throw line, whereas Milwaukee only had 17. But Celtics missed a lot of those free throw shots. They only hit like about, I think, 60 70%, whereas Milwaukee was up around 80 90%. And those type of things in a in a two point game, you know, you look at the last play and go, oh damn, if if Al Horford shot that just a second earlier, you know, we force overtime and maybe we win. You know, we have the momentum going into the overtime period. But actually the Celtics should look back and go, We lost this with our free throw shooting. We need to be better. You know, we're professional basketball players. This is a set shot with no pressure. I get you're away from home, so the fans are all Oh, miss, 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 miss. Come on. They're all waving their towels and shouting at you, but you're used to that. You get paid millions of dollars to hit these shots with no pressure. You've practiced this for hours, hours at home at the gym. And if you're only hitting 50, 60% of those, that's where I'm looking. That's a free 10, 15 points they missed out on. So... I think look for them, look for a lot of players to have some late nights just in the gym by themselves working on their free throw shooting. Um, you know, I expect Celtics again to try and raise that bar and come out more physical. It's going to be tricky for the refs, I think. You know, this series is getting not out of hand, but when the physicality keeps rising, it's like uh, when you boil a kettle, right? Eventually, you know, the steam cut starts starts rising and the lid is is bubbling and forces its way off. So, you know, you don't want anything like what happened in the Golden State Memphis game the other day where you get some really boneheaded fouls trying to be physical where um, I think, yeah, the Gary Payton, the second one where he, he broke his elbow. I talked about that the other day. That was just stupid and you know, trying to be physical, trying to foul people, but it's just not necessary. So the rest need to be on it and make sure, you know, we like to see physicality, but it's so different compared to the regular season, right? Like things, so many offensive fouls would have been called against Giannis the way he was playing today, but he had to break down the wall and he did it. He was like the Mongolians and found a way through the wall of China today. Um, So very interesting to, to see Shout out to him. Shout out to the Bucks. They're going to keep holding serve. Like I said at the start, it's a big opportunity to again in game four, like they just did, win that game, take it back to Boston, try and get greedy and, and finish the season, finish the series there. 
Alrighty, now for what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. <laughs> Not really, but I, I want to make this into a thing. Uh, I want to be true. I don't want to just uh, true to my word when I in the first episode and the sort of bio that I'm not just talking about NBA and NFL. Even though I love those sports so much, I do want to cover everything that's going on. And in particular, now that the NHL, the hockey in America and Canada is in the playoff season, it's the playoff point of the season for them. I want to talk about that a little bit. And I was talking to Pav and I said, I got the idea that we should pick a team on the East Coast and the West Coast. So the hockey is similar to NBA where they split it up into Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And I said, you know, it'll be more exciting to follow, contradicting myself from the start. You know, I don't like to have teams, but I thought, you know, I don't know heaps about hockey. I know a bit, like, it's weird. It, it's one of the only sports that has three it divides the time period into thirds. Like they have like a first quarter, a second quarter, and a third quarter. You know, it's not first half and second half. It's not first, second, third, fourth quarter. It's three, three twelve-minute or three fifteen-minute quarters. It's strange. Um, anyway, um, I thought it'd be more interesting if both Parv and I um, pick a team from the east and west coast. And we can follow them throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it'd be cool if, if you guys at home or wherever you're listening from, have a look. Type in NHL. Go to table on Google. It will show you which teams made the playoffs. You can see on the left-hand side, you know, green clinched their division or the sort of aqua color clinched the playoff spot. Those top teams are the ones in the playoffs. Go and pick a team. If you, if you don't follow the NHL, Pick, a, pick one team on the East and, and West Conference and we're going to follow follow them through the Stanley Cup playoffs and see how they go. I think that will make it interesting. So I sat down with Pav and I was like, let's pick a team, let's see. And she immediately went, oh, the Maple Leafs, Toronto Maple Leafs. They're coming second. They finished the season second in the Atlantic Division on the East Eastern Conference. So that's going to be her team on the from the East. And I said, why did, why'd you pick them? You know, you could have picked Tampa Bay lightning underneath them. You know, they won the NHL, the Stanley cup playoffs two years in a row and are trying to make it their third this year. And I was like, that could have been the bait choice. That could have been the easy choice that, you know, the favorite maybe, but she was like, I like that name, the Maple Leafs. And you know, they're Canadian. They're from Toronto. They're doing, doing okay. I believe in them. So respect, respect to Pav for that one. Who am I going to pick for the Eastern Conference team? I like, you know, it would be too easy or too bait to go Tampa Bay Lightning, like I just said, who are going for their the three-peat, the sort of Chicago Bulls of the hockey back in the 90s, trying to go the three-peat with Michael Jordan. Boston Bruins as well are a good team, fourth in that Atlantic division. Might be a bit too bait. I'm thinking, I'm thinking either these New York Rangers down in the Metro Division. <laughs> um, they have a good defense out here and a good goalkeeper, and defense and and goalkeeping wins wins uh, playoff games, wins championships. All these Florida Panthers, they're sort of like the Kansas City Chiefs, the high flyers. Such a high powered offense, or um, yeah, really fast skaters great at getting the ball into the net. Don't play much defense, um, 
but scored 340 goals this season, 30 more than the next highest. So who should I arrange? Defense or offense? Maybe I shouldn't be boring. Let me let me pick the Florida Panthers in the East Coast. Maybe that's a bit bait too because they had the best record on the East, but you know what? Let's go it. Okay, so Paz team just undermined. It's Maple, Toronto Maple Leafs. And then in the East, I'm also going to go for Florida Panthers. Let's go over to the West now. Pav again. She was like, how she made the hierarchy or the criteria for her was uh, cool names, cool logos. Um, Not too bait, not too like, um, not the favorite. But as I say that for the West, she picked the top team, the Avalanche. But it's because of the name. Uh, apparently. So she's hoping for the Colorado Avalanche. They're a good team, um, I've heard. And I was looking over the past couple of years, they've had the talent to push for the playoffs and are a playoff team. They're kind of like the LA Chargers of the NFL or the Parramatta Eels of the NRL. You know, really good roster, stacked, should be a playoff team, should be like a Super Bowl or winning the premiership, should be taking it home, but can never seem to put it together when it matters and always have a a bit of an early round playoff exit. So let's see how they do. That's Pav's team, Colorado Avalanche. Um, Pav also likes, she said she would actually go for the Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks, but they didn't make the playoffs. And she was like, what is a Canuck anyway? So we had to do, we had to Google it, the definition, and found out that it's um it's like a Canadian patriot. It's someone who's from Canada. You call yourself Canuck. Um I think something to do with pies as well. <laughs> that sounds right. But I said, Oh, what about the Kraken then? Down in Seattle Kraken? Yeah, Seattle Kraken in the Western Conference is the worst team. But I said, they've got a funky name too. And she's like, no, I don't like that name. <laughs> um, so there's obviously a hierarchy of the names there. I have I know about the the Golden Knights on the West Coast, if you're following on the table um, from Vegas. I know that they've been good. And I know the Blackhawks. I think that's the Chicago Blackhawks. But neither of those teams made it this year. So who will be my team? So on the West, Pav picked Colorado Avalanche. Maybe I'll go for... Hmm. These Flames, that's a cool name. I'll probably like Pav, just pick it off the name. <laughs> Calgary. Calgary Flames. Oh, I just clicked on them. Dallas is leading 2-1 against them at the moment. Who knows? Let's go for the underdog. Let's go for the... Let's go for the Flames. That can be my team. All right, so just recapping. On the East, Pav's gone Toronto Maple Leafs. I've gone Florida Panthers. On the West, Pav has gone that top team, Avalanche, Colorado Avalanche, and I'm going the Calgary Flames from the Pacific. Let me know your team, and let's see how they go. I think that will be fun to to, uh, follow them throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs and... Yeah, DM me your team so we can keep track and see who you're going for. Um, yeah, I'll, it's something I do know. I do know a bit about hockey, but I'm excited to learn more and watch a bit more, especially as these playoffs deepen and we get further into it. Um, we'll see how we go. We could talk about maybe some shocks if like the higher seed sort of loses and 
whose matchup, you know, maybe maybe Parv's Maple Leafs play my Panthers or, you know, you might pick the Bruins and they upset the Panthers and we can talk about that. Um, so that will be fun and exciting. Um, alrighty. Let's leave that one there and we can cover that one next episode. We can see how all our teams are doing. Alrighty. Alrighty, we'll finish it off with a short Q&A because I think it's been a long episode. Um, just one question today from Sam. He says, you're a physio, right? Uh, what's your opinion about Joel Embiid's return for the game three against the 76ers? It seemed a bit rushed and he didn't seem himself out there. I wonder if they brought him back too soon. Yeah, interesting question, Sam. You're right, I am a physio. I should know about these things. Uh, we did do a unit on, you know, sort of brain injuries and concussions and those type of things. So I do know about it. I was surprised as well. So, you know, it it's only just been one week since the orbital fracture and concussion that he got the injury in against Toronto. And usually... You know, concussion protocol says the soonest that you can return, the very soonest after a concussion is one week. Doesn't matter how you're feeling or all the tests that you have to clear before then, it's partly time-based. And you have to complete a series of tests throughout each, you know, it's not days, but, you know, over your recovery, you have certain milestones that you have to check off of, okay, Joel's able to do this, now let's start this type of training or let's progress the difficulty of a bit more. And it was really interesting because only like two or three days before game three, a reporter came out and said he's quite close with Joel Embiid and has been texting him. And he was saying that Joel's still like barely even reading text messages and is really sensitive to the light and can't even really play on his phone that much. And that was a big detail to me as that's really like the first stage, the first milestone that you have to clear in concussion protocol. It's like after a concussion, you get all the tests and we, we know we figure out and diagnose a, a concussion. The first stage is basically like total rest. I don't like promoting bed rest for a lot of injuries, but sometimes it's necessary. And with concussion it's sort of like in that first stage is your, your brain's still, you know, bruised and there's a lot of shock and you're really sensitive to a lot of sensations, in particular sounds and sight. So bright lights and, you know, I remember after, it's not a concussion, I've had a concussion before as well, but after a, a big surgery having my appendix out, you know, I couldn't look at a computer screen or a phone screen for days, it felt like I felt like I was going to faint. The room was spinning, could barely stand up. Like it took me a while, you know, Joel, I'm not a professional athlete, <laughs> um, obviously <laughs> just a professional physio. Well, um, Joel Embiid probably has a higher capacity than me, but it was damning to hear, you know, still three days before the game, he can barely sort of open, it, open his eyes and check his phone. He's still really sensitive. There's so many other milestones that he has to complete. And, you know, each one sort of, you have to do them two or three days at a, at a time. So you take those, you know, once he can look at his phone and is not sensitive to light, the next day stage is, okay, get him back sort of 
watching TV and like getting him, his sensations sort of accustomed to all those sensory inputs that you usually would like touch and sight and sounds, um, all those sort of things. So it's not too overwhelming getting him watching, you know, TV and get him up on his feet out and about like in crowds and like having people move around him, that sort of thing. Then the next stage is sort of just walking around, you know, getting practicing, like just bouncing a ball again, getting the feel, getting the rhythm of it, but nothing, you know, not even running yet. So it's, it's mind boggling to me and sort of explains, you know, I do agree with you, Sam, that it was a little bit rushed because like I said, that first stage is like not using your phone. Then you're using your phone and walking around. Then the next stage is sort of light jog, um, you know, really light practice then you're sort of like a bit more of a hard practice, but not no physical contact. And then you're supposed to have like a stage five or six where, you know, you're really getting back to game intensity and that sort of thing. And each of those stages should be having a good couple of days at those stages to prepare you for the next one, not just, okay, you're able to use your phone. Now, 30 minutes later, um, let's get you walking and then like, oh, it's, a, it's been another 30 minutes. Like, let's get you running now. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. We're taking it a whole day or two or three days at a time. Let's get you walking around for two days. And it's hard. That's where the, the balance of, and the ethics sort of come in about and pressure from it being the playoffs. He's the star player, massive contract, big money, sponsorships, the team doctors are balancing against the coach, the GM and other players of he's probably not medically cleared or ready to go back into the game versus the season's over if he doesn't go into the game. So I think he jumped and skipped a few steps um, just going from that light practice straight into a game. So we'll see. It's, it's really risky to do that because if he was to get hit and, you know, Every time you get a concussion, that you know, multiple concussions, chronic concussions can really affect you later on. And every time you get a concussion, you're at risk of another concussion and it being worse. You know, that if that same elbow to the head happened in a future game, the fracture would be worse and the concu- concussion would be worse next time. So... He's at a high risk. It's such a delicate balance between playoff basketball and that need and not being sent home, um, trying to help his team versus managing his health and the doctor's physio perspective. So good question. I'm I'm intrigued to see whether he has an even stronger performance in game four or if it sort of comebacks to bite him, if that takes a lot out of him and he plays worse and he probably should have rested a bit more. Either way, 76ers uh, are losing that series. So, <laughs> um, but it, it was interesting to see. We got what we... It was nice to see, and I, I think it would have been a shame if we didn't even get to see what it, what that series could have been like with if Joel Embiid didn't come back at all. Uh, you know, I just hope that he's, he's safe in his continued return and can clear more of those steps and can really feel ready to play in this next game for. Alrighty, we are going to leave it there. Another good episode. We talked about 
the NBA, the NFL a little bit, a little bit, a couple of comparisons. The NHL in particular, I think that's what I meant. The NHL, uh, we've talked about even a little bit of baseball at the top of the show, so it's all been good to talk about. In particular, with the hockey, give me your teams. Pick a team on the East and West Coast. Uh, let's make it fun. Let's have a team together. See, you know, which team goes the furthest. See who can come up with the Stanley Cup, hopefully, in the end. Whose team will go further, Pav's or, or mine? Who knows? That will be fascinating to see. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. Another good episode. I, I appreciate you for listening. Uh, alrighty. Bye.